0: You're now listening to Sandy at the Movies, Stargazing Edition, A New Hope Part 2. Everybody, welcome to Sanity at the Movies. This is Nathan Albertson, your humble and obedient host, joined by Pastor Jacob Menzel. Sup. And by not Brandon.
1: Not Brandon. He's getting or Ben.
0: A- he's getting ACL surgery this week, Brandon Chastine is.
1: Yep, tore his ACL.
0: Tore his ACL playing some street hockey. But stargazing must continue. Star Wars must continue.
1: Yeah. We could have been here for it, but Ben still he's out of a second honeymoon, basically. It's like a second honeymoon, yeah.
0: Point being, it's just me and Jake to finish out talking about a new hope. And we are ever so excited to do it.
1: I'm so excited. Brandon
0: in particular, I'm I think so, might have been helpful. But he'll so be back. Scared. He'll be back for yep. uh, Empire Strikes Back. Return don't of the cut Jedi. my
1: Don't Cut My Save by the Bell reference. Oh
0: I well, <laughs> I'll definitely <laughs> cut that. <laughs> no, no, I'll leave it in now that you've identified. These are the kinds
1: of references that I always make that Nathan ends up cutting. He's like, I don't understand that reference. I was homeschooled.
0: Well, the thing is, I don't think it's a reference. I, it just goes over my head. And so I'm like, okay, Jake's saying nonsense. He probably wants me to cut this out. Like, that's, it's, yeah. I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's yeah, just like... No. Jake said something into the mic that wouldn't have be be of interest to anyone, including <laughs> Jake. <laughs> I don't know why he did it. I'll cut it out. <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm just to send gonna back from to now go. on.
1: Every time I do it, I'm just gonna try to discipline myself to say, "Hey, that was a reference." To normally, it's gonna be something dumb like Top Gun. Jake say by the bell. In or some ways, like Jake that.
0: much more a child of the '90s. Jake's actually a year or two older than me, but much Jake feels. I think maybe just. He was in the public school system yeah. and certain things. Jake just feels like a child of the 90s. I think he probably watched more Saved by the Bell. I'd,
1: I watched a lot of Saved know, by the, where the Bell. Aware that
0: Screech was a thing and yeah. people like him. I was a little
1: Zach Morris wannabe. There you go. Zach Morris, the cool kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. So today, 2nd we're doing a part two of New Hope. And what we really wanted to focus in on today, Jake, was what? I think Princess Leia, yeah. Princess Leia. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> we'll focus in on the princess herself senator now in the yes. current continuity maybe dead for all i know i don't know wait what isn't she senator leia Gen- no general general yes I'm general so organa
1: yes 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 yeah. right. her dad bail organa yes yes, was a senator.
0: yes. he was a lowly senator let me, I'm going to offer some context,
1: Jake, because what I think That's we, what I need. I need some helpful context. Well, that's I need what, to understand Leia's place in history.
0: Well, I want to talk about Leia's place specifically in the history of film. The history of film, as I like to remind people, only about 100 years old. It's a very new medium. I don't know why I find that that so so important, but I just think it's, it's important to remember. Well, there,
1: it's, it's in its infancy. If we were going to talk about the novel is a relatively new art form, and yet the novel is... We've got 500 years, yeah. you
0: know, some, some someone could argue that, you know, this early Greek or Roman thing was a novel, but really, you know, if you're going to start it with Robinson Crusoe, you've got a few hundred years of novel history. If you're going to just talk about literature or poetry, you've got a couple thousand years, and you're going to talk about different ages and eras.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Film, basically, the big stuff that happened is going to be associated with... The West with Hollywood, this is kind of history. Yeah, and you can
1: tie about. it. You can tie it to to plays, to ancient drama. Sure. And, and there's a clear linear connection there, but it is a different medium. Like we like to talk about, it took people a while to figure that out. Yes. Well, man, have we figured it out?
0: Man, have we figured it out? And the audience's brains have adapted. We know how to approach film, even if you don't know anything about film, your brain does. Your subconscious, you know what a bunch of images chopped together mean. Because you see it in commercials, you see yeah. it everywhere, you see it in and now, music videos and YouTube videos. Now if you go videos. back and
1: watch an old film and you're like, wow, this is boring or wow, this is over the top, what you're a- actually reacting to is a stage play mm-hmm. that was filmed, right? essentially. And wondering why they filmed a stage play instead of making a movie as you know it.
0: Yeah. Well, these old movies have a lot of what people like to call shoe leather, which is people walking from a place to a place, just to give you a very... Simple example, you, as a modern film consumer, if you're a person under the age of, let's say, 50 listening to this, you are used to the fact that if I have a shot of Jake here and he says, you know what? I'm going to go to Africa. We can have two shots, you know? Jake can just suddenly be in Africa and you will fill in the blanks in your mind. Jake can say, I'm going to go to Africa. And then boom, Jake's sitting there surrounded by rhinos, whatever. Oh, Hey, Jake's in Africa. Our brains fill in that information. Or we could do it in another cut. I'm going to go to Africa. Then we see Jake on a plane. Then we see Jake. Those old movies, they would
1: have to be like, I'm going to go to Africa. And then I'm going to book the ticket. I'm going to call and talk to the ticket agency. I'm going to get in the cab, go to the airport. Maybe you have to stay in a hotel.
0: We'll see Jake actually walk up to the guy and say one ticket. Jake will tell me in the podcasting studio, I'm going to Africa. Then we'll see him walk up to the... The flight person at the airport. One ticket for Africa, please. We'll see Jake board the plane. We'll see Jake sitting on the plane reading a newspaper. We'll see the plane land. We'll see Jake get out. We'll see the guy come up to Jake. Welcome to Africa. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it'll literally be like five minutes of screen time just to tell the story because they couldn't trust audiences to get the story, but now they can. And it's because audiences have become more sophisticated and filmmaking techniques have become more sophisticated.
1: You know, maybe thinking of it, you know, as being more sophisticated doesn't appeal to you, but I, maybe a better. Maybe that we're more sophisticated. Maybe may be that we're trained.
0: Yeah, that, that that actually is a really good way to think about it. We just know what these techniques mean. We know what montage means. We know yeah. that if there's music, and even playing, if we
1: can't define montage, we understand and accept a montage. Right. Oh, a
0: bunch of shots of Rocky working out means that time is passing and he's getting stronger, and the music's yep. telling me this. And the more kinds of things like that you see over your lifetime, and the younger you start seeing them, the more your brain just accepts all these conventions. So
1: it's Cheats. not ways of ways of telling the story without having to take the time to tell the story. So sophisticated doesn't
0: mean more smart or intelligent or godly or good or even actively engaged. No, no, no. It, in some ways, it almost means, the, means opposite. the opposite of that. But all we mean by sophisticated is your brain understands and accepts a number of complicated conventions that people of an earlier era wouldn't have because those conventions were in their infancy or simply didn't exist yep somebody said cinema is truth at 24 frames a second every cut is a lie i don't know that i agree with that or even know what that (laughs) means but if you think about every cut as a lie it's interesting. It's true, right? You know. It's
1: at least worth ha- keeping in your brain.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting sort and of way to And it's a part of what things.
1: we we really do want you to see and understand when we talk about these movies. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about the grammar of film or filmmaking, but the the more you have in your head that every aspect of this film is trying to get you to feel or think a certain way about what's happening. Right. From the angle of the camera, you know, is the camera looking up at somebody? They want you to think that he's important or heroic. Is it looking down at somebody? They want you to laugh at him. Right. Is What's the music telling you to think or feel about something? What's all of these things play into and, you know, how they cut things together that just simply don't reflect real life. It's all meant to make you think and feel a certain way about the story that they're trying to tell you. And so, there is virtue in remembering little maxims like every cut is a lie" or the camera always lies. Right. Or whatever.
0: Just as a way, a better way of even, the better maxim might even be every cut is a choice. Just simply remember, if we're suddenly in close up. Somebody, somebody decided, decided to do
1: that. They were active decisions. They thought it through right. and it meant something. And they were trying to communicate something to you, if not directly on a subliminal level about how you should think and feel about what's happening here. Everything that happens is a choice. Right. You're not passively you're not engaged in a world uh, in the real world here right where things are just happening
0: precisely well and the reason we say every cut is a lie is because a film is designed to make you forget those things you're actually not supposed to be thinking about the fact that these choices are intentional it's all supposed to just feel inevitable of course yep. we would cut to a close-up of this guy and see what he's feeling and so you really begin to accept that and your brain gets trained to sort of just accept that and so things will happen in a movie Like for example, I think of some '80s, some silly 80s action movies where they'd always put like hot chicks in there. Like the the very opening of Die Hard, Bruce Willis gets into town, gets into LA, he's on a plane and the stewardess comes up to him and she says, hey. And he says, hey. And it's this really short, unimportant moment that just almost seems like it just inevitably happened. Like Bruce Willis was on a plane and a sexy girl gave him a look. Like it almost feels like, they just captured that. You know, it's organic. But you have to remember that they decided they would do that. They mm-hmm. cast an actress. They cast a certain type of actress. They went. They they put a call out to a place called Central Casting, said, we want this type of woman. They auditioned. Literally
1: called Central Casting. Yeah, there literally
0: is a place called Central Casting that they they, they could get a bunch of photographs of women who want to be actresses or who are actresses, look at them, decide. Probably Bruce Willis got to choose who the sexy girl that would say hi to him was. She was cast to do a certain thing. In that case, I think to just remind you that this character is virile and to provide a little eye candy for the audience. And it's a real throwaway moment. It's over in three or four seconds.
1: But they decided to do that. They decided to do that. And they're all shaping what you think about this protagonist and... And what you think about
0: women. And if you think I use that example intentionally, because I think it's a negative example, basically, you know, it's something kind of trashy and bad. And it teaches you bad things about women and bad things about men. And it's all over in three seconds. And it's very intentional. And you'd be forgiven for just accepting the story. the The stewardess just couldn't help herself. She was interested in And Bruce Willis and uh, John McClane, you know, she's uh, what what stewardess wouldn't. Well, no, she could have helped herself. The screenwriter wrote that. The producer said, hey, let's be sure to get more sexy dames in this movie. It was all intentional. It was a series of choices made by a lot of people.
1: Why are we talking about this? Well, just because this whole rabbit trail was just simply started by talking about film being a relatively new medium. And so when we talk about the history of film, we're talking about something that still is In some ways in its infancy but has grown because of the money that's in it has grown astronomically in its sophistication over a very rapid period of time and people still haven't begun wrapping their minds on a popular level people haven't begun wrapping their minds around understanding the medium how it works and what it does to them in the way that those who are creating films well, no, inside and out.
0: Most, most kids, if they've been through high school and if they paid attention and got okay grades, I think, I hope, I believe, maybe I'm wrong about this, but they should know about literature and they should know plot and theme and character and setting and yep. have a handful of terms and All ideas.
1: These, yeah, these, these basics of what makes a story work, what makes a novel work, how this works, or hopefully basics of what makes poetry work and how rhyme and meter and all these things play into Mm. making a poem a poem and make it, set it apart from a novel and how it works on you this way and that way, as opposed to a novel who works in these different ways. And even, even you know, to some degree, you know, in high school you've you've studied Shakespeare, that's part of the discipline. Right. So, some of those things are true of plays as well, but really understanding film and how, and music too, music's another thing where you have but but with film, the interplay of all of those things, not something that people really process on an intentional level and or even see as a necessary thing to process on an intentional level.
0: Which is too bad. I, I submit to you that every high school student shouldn't get out of high school without knowing the basics of how film works because it's actually a useful life school your skill. You're going to watch a lot of movies in your life and being able to think actively about them
1: is a good thing. And being able to step back and understand I felt that way not because I agree right. morally or um, in, in a principled way with what is happening on, on screen, but because the music and the camera angle and the, the way it was cut together mm-hmm. all were conspiring to manipulate me. Right, And that, now that I see and understand that, I can step back and actually, I can actually evaluate was that a good or a bad thing? Well, was that a good or a bad thing?
0: might well be a good thing. might well be a bad thing.
1: Most people are passive though, and so they simply accept because it made me feel this way it must be good right. and true. And uh, now I must allow this, the message of this film to shape the way I think about the world. Right. Well, I don't even think that consciously about it. It just happens passively.
0: Yeah. I, I really, really think it does. And I really think if you're the kind of person that resents us saying that, like, I wouldn't be manipulated, then you are particularly susceptible, susceptible to it. Because Absolutely. guess what? I would. I would yep. be manipulated. Jake would be manipulated. Yep. Your pastor would be manipulated. Your father and mother would be manipulated. These things are masterfully designed and it's a really potent medium. And you need to understand that it works, that it will work on you. It's like-, it's and like it is
1: a huge, massive part of the cultural shifts that we've seen over the last 50 to 100 years. Absolutely. Why, how has the culture, how has Western culture shifted right. so dramatically? Well, the art forms that we have today- their ease, their ubiquity, the ease that we have in spreading them and consuming all of them and how potent they are at working on our hearts, minds, and imaginations, both with music and with film. They're tremendous weapons for good and evil.
0: Plato talks about it, not to get all high handed, but he talks about it in his Republic. He talks about in designing the perfect Republic, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, he says, we would either forbid music Or we would be very careful and only the authorities in charge would select the music. And it's because he understands music controls emotions and it controls how young people think. And so in in constructing his utopia and constructing his society, music is very important. And I think somebody reading that might be tempted to think Plato's just being grumpy or weird or a Greek or or whatever else. But he's being pretty astute. Yeah, he's Plato after all. Man had a few thoughts. So, all of that to say, let's, with that, with everything we just said in mind, let's talk a little bit about the presentation of women in film. Because Princess Leia is considered, I think, by many people, a seminal character, a seminal, kind of a people. Yes. Feminists use her as she's 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 kind of absolutely. an icon now, absolutely. right? Absolutely, absolutely. You can find even
1: even if at the time they wouldn't, if they want to claim her now. So. They
0: definitely want to claim her now. And we'll talk about whether she's claimable now, whether she was claimable then. But I want to give people a little bit of background because I think when you hear people think of talk about it, they talk about it in a very simplistic way. And what they want to pretend like is characters like Leia or characters like Natasha and the Avengers or Captain Marvel. They want to talk about these characters as being Really groundbreaking, and I, whether they explicitly say this or not, the narrative is that all old media, all old movies were stupid and sexist, and women, can we
1: finally get a female superhero on screen? Now? right,
0: Women were just bimbos, and it was all about the woman's reaction to the men. you know there's that I think they call it the Bechtel test do Do the female characters in your movie ever talk about anything besides the man that defines their life? Old movies always fail that test. It's always actually all about the man. I think that's kind of garbage. It's got a little bit of truth to it, but it's it's also got a lot of garbage, just like any simplistic paradigm that makes everything that is in the past
1: bad. Defend
0: yourself. Right. Well, let me do it. So you talked about how film came out of other art forms and film, of course, came from stage craft and from the stage and from plays and stuff like that. And so a good place to start in understanding early female characters is with the Victorian melodrama. And Victorian melodramas were just what they sound like. They were melodramatic. They would be these little cheap plays that would be put on that the plebs could go and pay for, and they would have a virtuous heroine. You know, like all your Snidely Whiplash kind of stuff comes from these tropes, you know. Snidely Whiplash? Snidely Whiplash. Oh, people. Snidely Whiplash is from Georgia of the Jungle. He's an evil villain who twirls his mustache and ties the virtuous young heroine to so train tracks. So if you track. hear
1: Snidely Whiplash, what you mean is all of the tropes of when people say, mustache twirling villain, I'm going to tie the woman to the train track yes. and tap my fingers together. And
0: Evil villain that uh, makes steeples out of his I fingers and, says, and laughs, wah-ha-ha, ha, ha- wears a black hat, has a mustache, which he twirls, is after the virtuous young kind of stupid heroine trying to defeat the virtuous young kind of stupid male character, and maybe there'd be a wise parent or advisor or something like that, but it would all and and a clever servant, and they would all be conspiring to defeat this horrible black hatted mustache twirling villain. That is Victorian melodrama. If you've heard of things like Sweeney Todd or some of these stories with just horrible villains.
1: But Snidely Whiplash
0: yeah, but that Snid- is
1: the actual guy.
0: Yeah, it's not, well, Snidely Whiplash is the parody that George of the Jungle right. did of it. But that's who you do. If you, if you know George of the Jungle, which you should, that's who it would be. And they're not really exaggerating that much. They're just tweaking and being a little ironic about the fact that these very simplistic types were presented to people. If you've read any Victorian literature, you know that they liked to think about things in very romantic terms, you know, if you've read Dickens, Tiny Tim. If you've if you've if you've read your Dickens and you know how he and you can listen to us talk about this on the booking all over the place, you know how he thinks the way that he idealizes women and children, you gotta kinda think of it that way for just Mm -hmm. imagine the cheap if Dickens is the good version, imagine the cheap, dumb version put on for poor people to go watch in a playhouse.
1: Everybody has always understood that poor people, the common man, the Mm -hmm. lowbrow taste, loves these over-the-top, grotesques these over-the-top figures are caricatures, cartoon characters of uh, sor- sorts of of people, and you go back to Shakespeare, and Shakespeare's always got the fool. Mm-hmm. He's got the Falstaff. He's right. got the you know this like comically over-the-top, silly, ridiculous. He has these characters that are always coming in and out of all of his plays mm-hmm. because he needs comic relief. For the dramatic and realistic tensions that he's trying to put in his plays and that are the point, but he needs to give people breaks. He needs to keep the lowbrow people entertained and engaged and happy and ready to embrace the grand truths that he's portraying for them. And so, these characters, uh, they're classic. They go all the way back to the Greek plays as well. Absolutely. So, you take that. And you remove the level of sophistication of Shakespeare. And Dickens is going to call in that too. But you remove the level of sophistication of a Shakespeare or a Dickens. And then think that just like, you know, the cynical, I'm just going to give people that.
0: Give them what they want. And yep. I assume that people are lazy. And maybe let's blame people a little bit. Maybe they are. They don't want to think too much about their stories. And so here's the girl. Here's the guy. Here's the villain. Here's the mentor. They're all in the most over-the-top conflict. And the bad guys after the girl, and we've got to stop him. And, you know, it's just the building blocks of storytelling. But it's not much more than that. That's Victorian melodrama. And early movies in, like, the 1900s, the 1910s really draw on that. They're silent movies, and so they have to deal more in archetype. It's hard for them to do more psychologically real stuff because, A, film's just getting off the ground. Film acting's just getting off the ground and they don't have words to work with so they have to keep things simple and so a lot of those old silent movies the girl part will literally be in the in the credits it will say the girl the girl is played yep. by such and such it'll be the boy and the girl the villain you know you watch an old charlie chaplin movie it'll be like the tramp is played by charlie chaplin and then the girl is played mm-hmm. by whoever and the girl is usually
1: whoever he's hitting on at the time yeah
0: whoever charlie chaplin was trying to seduce Getting at bad. the time but That's another story. And so it's very simplistic. And actually, the first big, one of the first big stars, along with Charlie Chaplin, was a woman named Mary Pickford. And Mary Pickford played these young ingenues. And she was actually very famous for playing girls. Only, interestingly, to tell you something interesting about people in the 1910s, she would play these girl parts into her 20s. So she kept her hair like down to her waist and she would play these little girl kind of parts like Pollyanna was one of her famous roles. She played those kinds of parts and people still wanted to see her and people didn't demand realism like they do now and in the way that movies looked. Mm -hmm. So she would just kind of like a stage actress maybe that that hits it big playing a certain part and then plays the part even though she's kind of aged out of it. Mary Pickford played all these innocent, naive, little girl, not little girl types, but actually characters that are written as little girls little girls and, and very humble sweet so she was like the big female star the original big female star the original person that made lots and lots and lots of money and she played these parts that f- modern feminists would have a absolute field day with you know just these innocent female par- parts and so she's kind of that and then against her in the 1910s and into the 1920s you have these other stars who start to realize that they can use their sex appeal to make money. And so you have uh, Clara Bow was the name of one of them. She was called the It Girl because she had it. And what is it? It is the quality of of sexiness, really. She was the original flapper girl. She had the short shirt, skirt, and the stupid Prince Valiant haircut, whatever that thing's called. It? Bob. Yeah, Bob. And she's this really pretty, sexy girl and the 1920s was a time of plenty and a time of debauchery. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the right word, I don't know, but it was a time of sexual mores being loosened and women being out and skirts getting shorter and all this kind of stuff and so that's reflected in the movies. And so you kind of have this melodramatic strain of really pure innocent woman, womanhood in in these early films and then you have these kinds of sexy, saucy girls and it's those are those are really the two mm-hmm. i mean there's nuance but those are really the two types so th- this is all before the production code which forbid them from doing anything too racy so you yeah, have these old movies that you should be aware happened things called petting in the park loose ankles <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> these these all happened before 1930, and they were sold on. I mean, what do you think "Petting in the Park" was about, Jake? Any any guesses what happened in that movie? Probably
1: or, they had a couple of dogs. There's some of the Dogs that they were petting. Then yeah, and they were just petting the dogs in the park. And loose
0: ankles. I don't know what would happen in that movie. Maybe
1: probably a bunch of people rolled their ankles because there was some disease. Right, <laughs> they're all like playing basketball. Yeah, or something, it's a very serious their... medical
0: melodrama about yeah. <laughs> loose ankles. Yeah. The the original blonde bombshell was a woman named Jean Harlow. And the reason we remember her as the first blonde bombshell is because she started a movie in 1933 called Bombshell. Uh, um, and she coined the term. And so you had these sexy women, and then you had the virtuous women, and they're running next to each other. The main point I'm making is that women characters actually were pretty complex before your Princess Leia's. And so they weren't that complex in the silent era. But then you get into the 1930s. Nobody was that complex in the silent era. They couldn't be. Right because it was silent. It was melodrama. It was broad comedy. It was Charlie Chaplin getting hit by a ladder. I mean, that's what you could do. And silent films figured out really sophisticated, cool ways of doing that. But the kinds of stories they could tell were limited because they didn't have sound. Sound comes along around the 1930s and everything gets more complex and the art of filmmaking gets more complex and the place of females in movies gets to be pretty complex. And I just think you have to actually watch some old movies before you want to start making the argument that there was never any kind of strong female. Were they more traditional females? Did they do kung fu? Did they break outside of certain, shall we say, gender stereotypes? No. But within those stereotypes, within a traditional...
1: Maybe even Errol Flynn's girl might pull a sword on a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Or well... smash a lamp over his head or...
0: Well, and actually women were, you know, the World War II happens, ends in 1945. Women entered the workforce during the whole of the war. And that's really reflected in Western movies. So you think about Gene Arthur, the star of um, with Jimmy Stewart of of Mr. D or Gary Cooper's Mr. Deeds and Jimmy Stewart is Mr. Smith. Yes. You, you think about her and, and Mr. Deeds, she plays a, a star reporter and Mr. S- Smith, she's like the secretary to the evil senator or something, mm-hmm. but she's this really abrasive, tough woman. Well,
1: th- I mean, think about every, everything anybody named Hepburn has ever played. And well, exactly. You bring up Jimmy Stewart and I my mind went to Philadelphia's story where right. you've got Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart and there's one woman yeah, and she is in control of the whole situation.
0: Well, what a feminist would tell you is that people liked to see women in control, but they also liked to see women punished for being in control.
1: And so eventually, Catherine Hepburn's going to get spanked. Well, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: actually, I I hundred percent agree. I, I think that's exactly what Hollywood is very good at giving us is yep. letting us eat our cake or have our cake and eat it too. And I think that's what Hollywood did. I think that's what Catherine Hepburn was a genius at, was I'm going to play a really abrasive, annoying feminist character. Women are going to be able to see themselves in me and let me voice some of their complaints about the condition of women. And then Cary Grant's going to put me in my place at the end of the movie. It's a pretty good formula, actually. Yep. The quintessential example is the most popular, adjusted for inflation. There'll never be anything to top it. Movie ever made. Gone with the Wind. Vivian Leigh. Scarlett O'Hara. Massively successful movie. Women loved it, and I think it's hard not to be a little Freudian and say they love this woman who's tough, who takes over the plantation, who tells Rhett Butler what he can what he can do with himself.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know my my stick about never reading books that yeah I've never seen that movie. Yeah, it's a principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I assume that one day this podcast we'll will make bring me violate violate that principle just the way. Bookingings made me violate that principle with a number of books. Right. But
0: Well, the thing you should know is that she's just a really brash go-getter. And when her f- father dies and the plantation burns around her and the whole South goes up in smoke and is gone with the wind, she's able to lead her little group of slaves <laughs> and, <Whoop. laughs> and friends and family into the future and it's really cool but then you have Brett uh, Rhett Butler or lover who's like this strong callous sarcastic Clark Gable yep. character who famously people like to call it a rape scene I don't know if I go that far but he grabs her and says what you need is good kissing or something like that and then carries her up the stairs as it fades out and we all know yep. so you have these really strong female characters i mean that are intentionally and then the movies will a lot of times be somewhat traditionalist and that they will say at the, at the very very end of the movie they'll be like well maybe that wasn't so good you know they will say you can't be a scarlet o'hara and get away with it scarlet o'hara doesn't exactly get away with it but you also get to spend three hours of scarlet o'hara basically getting away with it so you do the math and tell me whether
1: three the, hours of wish fulfillment with a corrective at the end it's a i mean Honestly, like that's what everybody's always done. If if you've ever spent any time at the opera, mm-hmm. oh sure. My yeah. goodness, the opera is, is such a lewd place. Right. And yet at the end they'll have this like really hypocritical, over the top, like actual white throne judgment where everybody stands before God and all of the sins that we've been reveling in for the last three or four hours are pronounced as evil and Yeah, it'll it'll have that sort of thing. Exactly. It'll be the end of a Mozart or Beethoven
0: opera. You'll you'll have like... This courtesan is going to seduce everybody, get everything that she wants, and then she's going to start coughing and die of consumption at the very end.
1: And then they're going to literally say, this is what she gets for being a godless... Yeah, and it's like, we didn't come to the
0: opera because we wanted to see her be good. It's actually what Breaking Bad messed up. Breaking Bad, I think, should have had... Just in a cynical sense, I think it would have been a more satisfying for story if, story if they'd actually punished Walter White more. I think you would have felt more like you'd had your cake and eaten it too, and it would have felt more satisfying for people. The fact that Walt kind of, in an emotional sense at least, gets away with it at the end puts a kind of a queasy pall over the whole thing. You, you, you sort of as an audience member, you want to see him punished so that then you can feel good about the fact
1: that you enjoyed his that you enjoyed awfulness. His awfulness. Because you can agree that that was what should have happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah, on the one hand, yeah, you're right. On the other hand, you respect, you sort of respect Vince Gilligan for being like, no, no, you actually, this is what you, yeah, this is what you really want. Don't be a
0: hypocrite. He was your hero and we're going to give him a hero send off.
1: If you try to pretend like he wasn't, then you're lying.
0: Yeah, I I actually think that that's what's maybe smart about it, the ending, but it's also just in a sinful way, perhaps unsatisfying.
1: What these people have always done is acknowledge very cynically everybody's hypocrisy in right. desire to remain a hypocrite. It's um, all about your conscience and your subconscious. And if you can let
0: people sort of enjoy something illicit without making them feel illicit, that's kind of the whole trick. Yep. And I'm not saying that's good for if you're... But that really is the, that is listening. the
1: art that Hollywood has been in the business of perfecting and mastering for a century.
0: Which brings us to another famous, morally compromised, interesting female character, which is Ilsa from Casablanca. And that movie is a masterpiece of the construction of it, just the construction of the story and the brilliance of the screenplay makes a whole lot of stuff go down very easily.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I know they make the right choice at the end, but you're supposed to really feel bad that they make the right choice. It's like the tragedy, the noble tragedy of having to make the right choice is the casablanca. noble the
1: noble tr- uh, sacrifice of staying married to your husband right listen i love <laughs> casablanca it's one of my
0: favorite movies but when you start to think
1: about it the it, noble her- heroic sacrifice of not committing adultery
0: and the reason that you don't commit
1: adultery to save the world yeah not because there's anything intrinsically moral or right about not committing adultery you have to have a reason bigger than that because what's really right deep down is committing adultery right
0: Another interesting—I'm just going to keep listing other interesting female characters just to make the point, again, that there were interesting female characters before Princess Leia, before the feminists got their claws into things. Or maybe you could argue the feminists had already gotten had their, their claws into it had their claws Yeah, exactly. Things. But I want to at least argue that there's nothing new under the sun and that yep. let's not see revolution where there's not one. So— Let's talk about two more. Let's talk about Olivia de Havilland. She famously played the girl in all the Errol uh, Flynn movies. You you watch Captain Blood. You watch Adventures of Robin Hood. You watch some of those other ones. It's always kind of the same thing. And I think she's great. She's a really strong character without being a strong character the way that we understand strong characters. Errol Flynn always has to rescue her, but that doesn't make her stupid. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make her a bimbo. It doesn't make her uninteresting. It doesn't make it so females don't have someone to latch on to. She's a pretty interesting character. She's usually a little bit saucy and has a love-hate relationship with yeah, Flynn. So yeah,
1: she can give it back to him, you know? Yeah. And, oh, you don't bought you as a slave. Oh, you don't appreciate that? Well, fine. Go work in my uncle's minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take yeah. that. And, and, and you can tell what she's- What, are you she's... looking at me? Oh. oh, is that because you actually like me? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Huh.
0: And it's really fun. It's simplistic. But if you've ever been in a relationship, it reminds you of things like the the will they, won't they, the, you know. It the g- back where g- there
1: has to be, a, you know, an even exchange. It's not just, and everybody knows there has to be some real exchange that's going on. Right. And they get for that. It to For it to be sold. He has to have a reason to be interested in her. If she's just the damsel in distress. I'm not there's say nothing it. really interesting about that.
0: Of course, you know, it's, she's not just the girl, like those old 1910s, 1920 movies. She's she's interesting, and there's chemistry between them, and the nature of that chemistry and the nature of why they end up liking each other is well-written. There's nice little touches. Uh, you know, there's a part in the Robin Hood movie where she ends up in the forest, abducted by Robin Hood or something like that, and she gets to see all the good that Robin Hood is doing, and they, they mm-hmm. make a nice little moment out of this... This princess character made, I guess, I don't know who made Mary and what her role in society was exactly, but she's this person that hasn't gotten to see just how bad the Normans are. And now suddenly she's seeing it and she, Robin Hood's recast in a different light. And it's, you know, there's an interesting, well-written mm-hmm. dynamic between these two characters, even though he's a very gallant stereotype and she's a very, the girl. damselily stereotype. damsel stereotype. They find interesting shades and chemistry and romance yep. in those things. And it's it's well-written. So that's all the kinds of roles, interesting roles. You did have sex bombs, blonde. you know, Jean Harlow, the the original blonde bombshell, her career extended into the 30s. You know, in classic Hollywood, you did have women that were just known for their sexiness and for their kind of bimbo qualities. But most A-list Hollywood productions, you had interesting, well-written roles mm-hmm. for women. Interesting, well-written roles for women are not a invention of the modern era. In fact, I'd say roles for women were more interesting back then because the women could be women. They didn't have to be honorary men. They could be the kinds of things that women generally are. And then we could find interesting things to say about that Mm -hmm. or to have them do. Things start to get, as we move out of the war years, the 40s into the 50s, I don't think the 50s was exactly what we, you know, when we say the 1950s, we have a very specific idea I don't know that that's exactly real, but what you can say is that things got more bifurcated in the way that we presented our women then. And so Mm -hmm. you sort of did have the, you had the real blonde bombshell of all time, Marilyn Monroe, who was just sexy and available. I think the key word with Marilyn Monroe is available. There was a yep. f- photographer that f- photographer photographed her a lot, and he said what she had that the other girls didn't was if you were in a room with her photogra- photographing her, you would think that you could make it with her. She would tell you that if everyone else would just leave this room, we'd get together. And I don't mean to be crass in sharing that. I just mean to say that's who Marilyn Monroe was. Yep. So you have that character, and then you have the wife character that just wants to buy good Folgers coffee for her husband in the commercial yep. Donna Reed from It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life is 1946 so this is going into the 50s but you have that character just the everything that's good about traditional womanhood and really putting it on a pedestal and Mary's great. And Jake's
1: <laughs> <laughs> might have had a little bit of a crush on her. It's possible I had this. a crush on Donna Reed somehow uh, <laughs> magically over, across time <laughs> <as> a, <laughs>
0: But there again, the interesting thing I think about Donna Reed and It's a Wonderful Life is she's a pretty nuanced, interesting, I mean, she's very much a type and she's very much a stereotype and she's very much put on a pedestal. But at the same time, she's played with some specificity. You know, Jake didn't have a crush on her because she was just a stereotype. He had a crush on her because Donna Reed brought some specific things and some sexual tension and some nuance to the way she played it with Jimmy Stewart and the kind of wife that she was And why she was interested in Jimmy Stewart, and the fact that she's the one that wants to give away the honeymoon. Absolutely, Mary's actually she's going to
1: give away the honeymoon money. She's going to, and then she's going to go to the leaky house and make the best of it. Right, and they're going to make the best of it because she's just a cheerful sweetheart. Make the best of it. We can, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, and and Mary's
1: like she's going to stand up to George, and she's going to you know, be vulnerable to George and she's going to fight for George and she's going to...
0: And it's all really relatable stuff and yeah. it's 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 all nicely colored in. It's not... It's a type. Everyone in that movie's a type, actually, a stereotype, an archetype.
1: Absolutely. But... The kind of stereotype, archetype that you can put yourself in. You can see yourself as George being a total jerk to this awesome woman.
0: Yeah. But I don't think Donna Reed's being taken advantage his... of or made to play a stupid part. I think Donna Absolutely Reed's not. allowed to bring a lot of
1: strength and charisma, charisma and, and, charm strength and charm and charm yeah.
0: and intelligence to the saintly wife role and so Absolutely. i think even those traditional roles we have to see past Of course, you know, if she had never married George, it's different. She would story. have been a spinster. Yeah. Yeah, which is this dumb plot point. <laughs> it's made so by stupid. misogynist male writers. <laughs> and I stand by that. <laughs> it's really stupid. Yeah. So you have that wife. You really do have things. What the feminists would say is you got the Madonna and you got the horror. And that that does become more bifurcated. I think it was bifurcated in kind of the tens and twenties. And then things became complex and interesting in the thirties and forties. And then I think in the fifties we're back to kind of you've got Marilyn Monroe over here. And you have Donna Reed type characters
1: oh, over Reed, here. Sorry, you have yeah. the
0: wife character who is perfect in every conceivable way. And then it's you have Mary Poppins. Right. Yeah. Mary Poppins, which <laughs> came out in 1960 something, early 60s. So you have that kind of through the 50s and into the 60s. But you have the sexual revolution percolating. And it, the sexual revolution didn't come out of nowhere, it came out of Marilyn Monroe, whose movies are incredibly awful and you probably shouldn't watch them and they're very sexual and they all took place in the 50s and it's all done with innuendo mm-hmm. and but it, but the innuendo spicy. that innuendo-y i mean it don't take much to it's spicy figure out what they're talking about some like it hot tony curtis is plays a man who basically they never quite say the words but the whole plot point is that he can't have sex and he's cold and marilyn monroe is the one person that can save him from this problem. It's going to and he, wake him up. And he's 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 tricking her into helping him. She really wants to help him. And it's just, it's an uncomfortable movie. You don't, you know, I've turned it off before and you don't expect it to be as racy as it is, but mm-hmm. it really is. You watch uh, North by Northwest from the same era with Cary Grant and Eva St. Marie. It ends with them kissing. And then you see a train go into a tunnel. And Alfred Hitchcock knew what he was doing when he cut those... Two images together he understood what that juxtaposition meant yep and he thought he didn't would... have to be there no <laughs> he did not have he to have, not train, have to do that train going into a tunnel but he sure did so that brings us to the 1960s and I'm almost done here folks the 1960s sexual revolution and I actually think when people say modern feminism is redefining things from the shallowness of what came before people are actually looking only back to that, because actually things become much more bimbified and women's roles in movies become pretty awful and obnoxious, and you feel bad for the women having to play these degrading sexualized parts in the 60s. You watch an old one of the original James Bond movies, and it's just like, yuck.
1: Yeah.
0: Sean Connery's a monster and he treats these women awfully. And the movie treats they them am- awfully. We
1: have amazing, amazingly uh they have names. Yes, they, they do have names. They have names.
0: They do have names and we won't share them on this Happy Christian podcast, but I'm sure you all probably, if you know anything.
1: The Austin Powers spoof was not really, uh, you can't really spoof the names. No, <laughs> you
0: can't. <laughs> and it's all about like, these women are sexual objects. That is the what these movies are telling you. And if you think about it, I have real sympathy. If you want to have real sympathy for the modern, is it fourth wave feminism that we're now I have no idea. idea. But if you want to have some real sympathy for it, really, I, I have no sympathy for it. But if you want to have just a little bit, go back and watch a movie from the 60s and watch footage of Woodstock and watch an old James Bond movie and then put yourself in the shoes of young women and think about how scary it would be. For all the sexual constraints to suddenly fall off of a society and to be told that you are to be sexually available, that's what... And that this is a good thing. Make love, not war, man. And imagine how scary that is. There's no protections in place. Men can just tell you, hey, hey, baby, you're supposed to make love. Like, that's what we do. I mean, imagine the rape. Imagine the sexual assault. Imagine the things that suddenly... The demons that were suddenly... You know, the Pandora's box that was suddenly opened up and... Imagine how scary that is. And you really see it reflected. It's it's obviously portrayed very positively in a James Bond movie.
1: Make no mistake, there were a lot of women that just embraced it and threw themselves fully into it. Oh, yeah. I mean,
0: people like, just to, since we're talking about movies, you know, Ursula Andress, the famous woman that came out of the sea in the first James Bond movie, or uh, Raquel Welsh in the fur bikini, 1,000 years BC, Yeah, you know, people... Women knew how to make money, and the big stars, that's just one example, of one small example that we happen to be talking about of what Jake's talking about. Well, women were moral agents, too. I'm not trying to let them off the hook here. Um, They gave themselves to sexual promiscuity, and they really started to reap the whirlwind because suddenly you have this entitled, you have Playboy magazine, you have Hugh Hefner, you have all this stuff, James Bond, and you have this generation of really entitled Men that just think they deserve sexual service from anyone at any time, and that's a really scary place to be a woman. And so, what happens? The women there's there's no men to protect them. Mm-hmm. They figure they need to protect themselves.
1: And that brings us up to my Saved by the Bell reference earlier in the uh, in the show. Jesse Spano, mm-hmm. that great feministy character who's out to protect herself. She's going to seize the world. She's the I'm the loud and proud feminist right. on the Say by the Bell show, and the moment that I brought in for my reference, the moment where she's hopped up on and addicted to caffeine pills so that she can study hard and study hard and not do everybody else and ace her SATs and get a scholarship to Cal Berkeley or whatever it was, and right. she collapses into Zach Morris's arms. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared. Right. <laughs>
0: Well, that's actually, that's actually helpful because what you have in Hollywood, what you've always had is people reacting to these things and trying to figure out how to tell a story that kind of takes all this stuff, all this cultural stuff that's hitting them into account and so as early as Jake's childhood, the nineties, you could have a story where a woman just in a little high school parable in a dumb sitcom, she tries to have it all and she tries to be strong and really she's just barely holding it together and Yep, That's going to be a relatable thing. Um, I think about the 1960s and all the movies, the funny, weird movies that came out of people dealing with the new sexual promiscuity and how scary it was. You have things like The Stepford Wives, where all the men want to make their women into literal robots so that they can go back to a more traditional time. You have things like Rosemary's Baby, where the husband sells his wife to a group of a coven of witches or something like that so that they can produce the antichrist and then it's got the wonderful line at the end he's got his father's eyes um <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know that movie is a very hip horrific aware movie about how scary it was to be a woman at that time like you've kind of felt Much
1: like handmaid's tale is it a...
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> sorry well what's it's more fun to the thing is you can't really engineer something like this you kind of just have to look back and realize oh that was the underlying terror behind why they just made this silly horror movie. Of when you try and do it, then you get a really preachy, dumb thing like Handmaid's Tale. Yep. But I suppose they were probably somewhat aware with Rosemary's Baby and all of a lot of these things. But <laughs> so you get to the 70s and you still have this kind of you have this kind of battle between the 60s machismo, sexual revolution. You got people like Jack Nicholson, who you know, the last embodiment of just that sexy man, that strong man that can have whatever he wants you know one threw, flew over the cuckoo's nest i think he's in he's in the cuckoo's nest for sexual assault and he's still our hero and nurse, nurse ratchet is the evil female that's trying to keep him down and you have things like this but you have this interplay between this new feminism this new understanding of female empowerment and this generation of women that's just like i don't think we want to be sexual objects but no one's going to protect us from this so we need to be brash we need to be strong and we need that to be reflected in our art thus 1977 we come to star wars and princess leia
1: princess leia carrie fisher daughter of
0: debbie reynolds singing in the rain
1: somebody that might have fit into our donna reed donna
0: reed yes she's she's a great example of just that beautiful traditional classic femininity kind of part Actually, that movie is a great example of a movie a that's got rain, both. Yeah. It's got that long, boring dance sequence with the other kind of woman in it. Yep, boring and worth skipping for other reasons. Perhaps if you're watching it with kids, or even if you're watching it she as a got dude.
1: Long legs,
0: right? You got that, and then and that's you got, what
1: that whole scene's about is yep. the length of her legs.
0: Yeah, and it's really saucy and weird. And yep, uh, it's it is uh, pushing the bounds of
1: eye candy in Technicolor.
0: But then. The move, you know, Gene Kelly doesn't end up with that woman. He ends up with Donna Reed. Yep. Have your cake and eat it, Duke. Really classic example of the two types. I mean, you can just—it's all over the place, right? Yep. So that brings us all the way to basically the modern era into the '70s and '80s and '90s. You have things. I mean, just to finish up the story the 80s you start to have brash kind of feminism which i think princess leia will talk about it as an example of you've got ripley in the aliens movies she's a very strong like
1: get out of my way kind of sigourney weaver all the way through the 80s and she
0: becomes the first woman that can just open an action movie like people will actually pay money simply to see sigourney weaver not in traditionally female roles but in Action roles, and then you have goofy things like Jurassic Park in the nineties, you know so the doddering old man says "I'll go and do the dangerous thing because i'm a and you're a and i'm not even brave enough, and she says, we can talk about gender roles when I get back' these dumb pandering moments, which we still have some of, but I'd say feminism is really much more sophisticated these uh, until you days. get to
1: captain Marvel
0: I think the the brash women actually made a little space though for the more smart brand of feminism, which is Wonder Woman is yeah. a great example because she's kind of soft and feminine and she's maternal and she's everything that we like. She's Donna Reed and she's Wonder Woman. Uh, and she kicks butt. Yeah. And so we just lie to yep. people and say, you can actually be all those things. Being Donna Reed doesn't come with any attendant vulnerabilities, right. which is just a lie. Being anything comes with attendant attendant vulnerabilities. Yep. So that's the story in a nutshell hopefully somewhat interesting and helpful to people but let's go back to star wars and see how we think carrie fisher playing princess leia fits into this whole thing all right it's hitting right around the time when everything was changing just in in the decade you know this is not that far removed from the really nasty mean sexist sexually debauched and sexually using women of your 60s of all that sexual revolution stuff this is not very far removed from that, you have in Carrie Fisher, somebody that would have grown up with some of that. And suddenly she's asked to play Princess Leia. And yep. what is there to say
1: about well, Princess in, Leia? in the broadest strokes, we're back in the 1910s. Yeah. We have a bunch of mustache twirling villains who are wearing black Nazi suits mm-hmm. and wearing Nazi hats and Nazi helmets. And Nazi uniforms. If they had mustaches
0: to twirl, they'd twirl them. They would
1: twirl them. And they capture her. And they take the princess deep into the darkest dungeon, into the belly of the whale, as it were. Mm -hmm. The dungeons of the dragon. The the fire-breathing dragon that can destroy worlds. And our heroes have to go and... Save the day and rescue the princess. And why is and Luke they
0: motivated? Do. Luke is. Let's for, put aside all the sister stuff. We don't even know if George Lucas had thought of it. He doesn't seem. We like doubt it. it. Why is Luke motivated? She's beautiful. Yep, that's literally. Can you,
1: can you imagine a girl like that with a guy like me? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Han and Luke are going to compete for the affection of the princess. And... So it's
0: the most stereotypical. Fairy tale, woman as prize, is what the feminists would say, and I basically agree with them. Woman as prize, beautiful woman as reward, and prize and motivation for man to do great things.
1: They rescue her from the dungeons and the mustache-twirling villains, and they go back, and then they slay the dragon. Right. Having gotten her to safety.
0: She does not come along on the journey to slay the dragon. Once you've saved the princess, the princess Dunn stays back
1: at the castle. They rally the knights and... They storm the dungeon, the castle, and they kill the dragon. So, pretty traditional movie. Yeah. Eh? Uh, yeah. In the broadest strokes, yes. yes. But in the details. In the oh, details. how subversive. <laughs> the devil's
0: in the details. <laughs> so, how is it subversive in the details?
1: Well, it's just, again, trying to bring the same kind of nuance and complication. If you can call Star Wars anything that, nuanced happens, in... Or complicated. <laughs> <laughs> anything that happens in Star Wars nuanced or complicated, yeah. They're going to go and save the princess but the whole while saving the princess what the princess is proving is that the princess somehow doesn't need to be saved and in fact needs to save them mm-hmm. they're gonna bumble bungle this whole escape altogether. so they get her out of the cell and she's like what kind of rescue is this did you have a plan for getting out of here or are you just trying to get me killed she takes the blaster and she shoots some people up and she blows a hole in the wall and they escape into the garbage chute fly boy yeah and she's like sassy and brassy and brash with mm. them all and she's short for a stormtrooper and all that stuff you know big walking carpet and she's not having it she's not going to be that pretty damsel that needs to be saved she's going to be one of the boys she's going to help she's going to pull her own weight once she gets out of the cell and she right. does all the way to the very end
0: of the movie except in the broad strokes like we just said it's completely traditional and the weird thing about princess leia is that she'll bald facedly without without the movie apologizing for it she'll just flip Yep. She'll be really brash and brassy and firing guns and stuff. And then they'll need to swing across a chasm and she'll kiss Luke and say, for luck. And then she'll cling on to him in a very Olivia de Havilland, Errol
1: Flynn. Errol kind Flynn a, is straight out of that. Right, it is just that as they swing across. It's a direct reference to right. that. And the music, in fact, is a direct reference to that.
0: The Art of the Score podcast we both listened to and what they what he says about Indiana Jones, I think it was in that podcast. They talk about how John Williams didn't write Marion in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark as she was.
1: He sort but of, as Han imagined. Or as uh Yeah Yeah, whatever that guy. Indiana Jones. Right. And so it's a very
0: Marian is a very tough, brassy, sarcastic, tomboy of a lead. And she says
1: this really romantic music. That just tells you that she's beautiful she's and she's a princess. A
0: princess. And it's like she's not.
1: She's not. Oh, but she is from Indiana Jones's perspective. And the same thing's true. With Princess Leia and those themes actually. Are very similar. They're incredibly similar. This mm-hmm. Melodically,
0: and, structurally, musically.
1: And the art of the score guys break that down in case it wasn't obvious to you and you can't hear it just thinking about it.
0: In case you actually can't tell the difference. Like, I don't know that if you played I one, could not I could tell, tell you. I could not tell which one. Was,
1: which. But, yeah, anyhow, I mean, William said after afterwards that nobody ever told mm-hmm. him that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. And so he wrote those scenes romantic. He scored those scenes romantically mm-hmm. for the same reason. right? But yeah, she just, she plays that role. She slides right into that role and then boom, she's back out of it. She's got the gun. She's going to be the one who makes the brilliant shot. And
0: You know, this is reminding me of another really popular fantasy adventure movie from that era. Well, it reminds me of a couple things. Of course, it reminds me of Raiders of the Lost Ark, but that's kind right. of just made by the same people. Team, yep. That's George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And apparently they like the same kind of women. But I'm I'm also thinking from that same era of Superman and Margot Kidder plays oh, yeah. Lois Wayne, Lane and very she's similar so, kind of in the broad strokes she's the damsel in distress in every specific she's subverting it by being tough and brash, brash and brassy
1: and, yeah and what's interesting about those all three of those as a kid although I would actually say that Lay was the least of these mm-hmm. I ne- like I loved those Superman movies but I never liked Lois Lane and I loved Indiana Jones, and I never liked Marion or any of Indy's women. And the same vibe with Carrie Fisher, Mm -hmm. but she was was better somehow, or she got to play enough softness or was made to pull it back a little bit more, or maybe Mm -hmm. she was just made to wear a metal bikini i don't know what yeah. it was mm-hmm. but
0: probably didn't hurt things as a young boy well hurt things didn't didn't hurt our appreciation of the character yeah i didn't like any of those characters i think i found marion to be pretty annoying
1: yeah
0: indiana jones just had a bad taste in women probably if you'd asked me as a kid the one i would have liked the most was the german lady that betrayed I say, him so yeah but they were all three all three of indy's girlfriends were pretty obnoxious and Margot kidder as lois lane was pretty obnoxious terrible princess leia kind of the same thing i don't know i'm trying i'm trying to remember i don't know that i would have given princess leia all that much thought i was so enraptured with the story in general
1: i loved han solo
0: and all those people you know it's like droids droids yeah it's just like there's so much to love i don't think i begrudged the movie princess leia i think i was going she's she's kind of annoying you know Mm -hmm. she's she's the girl part you know she's the part that would give me cooties maybe but she's what i don't remember is ever being in until maybe return of the jedi when they blatantly tried to tried to make me feel this way with the stupid metal bikini i don't remember ever being attracted to her or interested in her as the female like i never you watch an old say robin hood errol flynn olivia de part she's a very fetching presence yeah. in the well, films. And,
1: and it's worth saying that they they actually went out of their way. And I, I, I guess there's some debate probably about where all the initiative for this came from. But they definitely went out of their way to make her as boyish as possible. Princess Leia, you mean? Princess Leia. Yeah.
0: Well, we should just say it. They, yeah. Physically, she's basically... They,
1: they removed her curves as much as possible. They taped her down.
0: They taped her down. And she's wearing a very not form-fitting white robe thing. thingy that is
1: made to... De- meant intentionally to de-emphasize her figure.
0: And then she's got that ridiculous haircut that everybody loves to make fun of, which, again, that haircut's a lot of things. It ain't sexy. It ain't traditionally feminine, you know?
1: Yeah, it's a way to let her put her hair down when she needs to later. Right. But also do it up and put it out of the way like any good soldier would.
0: Which, is, But then they have that moment where Luke opens up the door, and she's in kind of a provocative pose, and he stands there He's ogling. like, oh, her. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm a dumb male character. And she makes fun of him for it. You're a little short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? And so yeah. she really has to bounce back and forth quickly.
1: Huh? Oh, the, ma- the oh, mask. mask. I'm here to rescue
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then at the end, yeah, she's very soft and pretty and feminine when she's supposed to be, like when she's suddenly playing the role of, of the princess bestowing treasure on these guys so the movie just has her kind of constantly jumping back and forth and it really doesn't try and make much apology for it and i don't know what to say about that besides that do you get this do you get the sense that george lucas what do you think he was trying to do with it with his female character did he want to make a statement was this just the kind of female he liked i you know what i think obviously people claim her as a feminist uh, icon now People say, I was a little girl and I watched that and I knew I could do everything. And people say all that stuff. Yeah,
1: I could hang with the boys on the playground, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think he wanted to give some of that. I think he probably wanted to preserve some mystery mm-hmm. for how things were going to play out in future films if he was able to make them, which he had always had the plan to do. Right. And I think that, oh, I don't know. Who knows what George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, who knows why That George guy is. is so weird. But part of it may have been as simple as every story needs the girl, mm-hmm. but I want to keep the story on the hero. I, I really like,
0: think that might be as much as so it's like if I had we to We have guess. to
1: have it as a key element here, but let's diminish this element as much as possible and keep it on our hero. Yeah. And his journey is bigger than the girl. His y- journey is about se- his self-actualization as a hero and not just about the girls. Uh, getting the girl right. is a step in his self-actualization. And so if we can make it less about that,
0: Well, let's not slow down for the boring, you know. What what
1: kid, if this is a kid's movie, what kid actually wants the kissy stuff? Right. You know, as Fred Savage masterfully put it. Yes. Right? No kid wants the kissing stuff. Right. No, No little boy wants the kissing stuff. What they want is droids and lightsabers and cool spaceships. Yeah. And so let's focus on droids and lightsabers and cool spaceships and fighting. And as a kid, I think wherever you're coming from, you appreciate the fact that we don't linger and have boring adult romance stuff, right? In Absolutely. the middle of this great action movie, what we have is we get it; it's there, and, it, and it's that, it's always that, you know there and out of the way. Bang bang! Because what's actually cool is how are they going to blow up this Death Star. Are we going to get to see that scary guy in the black <laughs> robot suit again? Like, what's he going to? Are they going to pull out those light sword thingies again? Like,
0: yeah, it's really why Empire Strikes Back was maybe the one that I thought was the most boring. As a kid, because it concerned itself with these adult things like love. And Now as an adult, you know, everybody says it's the best. It's one of my favorites because it concerns itself with adult things that are more interesting to me than flashy hardware. I think that's really it. I think George Lucas just wanted the story to keep going and he wanted to pitch it at kind of a pre-adolescent level. And,
1: and he succeeded masterfully.
0: Well, and it strikes me that one of the functions that women often have in these stories and I dare say in life. Is women represent a call to maturation? You yeah. know, they uh, the reason that you put away childish things is so you can get the girl. I mean, that's what men in real life do,
1: that's <laughs> what you have to do if that's you're to
0: get a real girl. And and, it, and that is actually represented in an Errol Flynn movie. Like, Errol Flynn just has so much fun fighting the bad guys and hanging with his bros and being a pirate or a robber yeah, you know, yeah. or whatever it is. And it's like, no, Flynn, you've got to... You got to settle down, man. You got to settle down. You got to kill the bad guy once and for all. Not so you can keep hanging with your bros, but so you can stop hanging with your bros and marry a Liberty to character. Yeah, you're going to have to
1: figure out how to get this pirate ship in your record expunged. You're going to have to find a way to establish yourself so that you can have the girl. And that's
0: a way that I think feminists and modern women and young girls that are being taught by those movies, they really don't understand how much power they actually lose and how much they give up when in in the Avengers movie, it's like as a girl, you're just expected to do cool boy stuff. Like that's what it's teaching girls is men don't actually have to give up hanging with their bros. We're all bros. What's
1: ideal is that if you can just be a bro... Who happens to have sex with
0: me, which is... Yeah, which is what... Every man fantasizes about wickedly.
1: Yeah, if we could just like... If I could just be as cool as Captain America and there was a Scarlett Johansson, that would just like be one of the boys, but also be hot. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. That'd be the greatest thing ever, right? That's what everybody watching those movies... Everybody wants to ship ScarJo with their favorite character, whether it's Cap or Banner or Hawkeye or Mm -hmm. whoever. They want to see that because... Why? I want to be able to hang out with my cool friends and do awesome stuff and save the day and have my girl be one of the boys who requires no sacrifice towards domesticity on any level. I don't have to get a job. I mean, I don't have to. Why is Hawkeye lame? Hawkeye's lame because he shoots arrows and he also has to go and be tied to his family.
0: And so, yeah, I I think modern movies really beginning with Star Wars, maybe. maybe, I don't know that I'm prepared to make quite so bold a claim. But I, I can think of a few movies before that quite do it that way, where it's just, we're all boys, actually. And the ideal yeah. is for us all to be boys. And Star Wars actually doesn't go all the way. If Star Wars wants to say Han Solo should grow up in, in the trilogy. It's actually, absolutely. it wants to say Han Solo should grow up. And then guess what? J.J. Abrams comes along 30 He's like, years he later. He couldn't. He couldn't. One of the things that's appreciated by cynical, horrible modern people. Oh, yeah, of course they couldn't make it. My relationship didn't work out. Why she should had Han Solo to be Princess
1: Leia? She, she was too brassy to settle down and become that sweet domesticated thing that and he was too wild and crazy to settle down and become a good husband and father you know so
0: the reason you do that is because you have it didn't work for you and you have no faith that it can work for anyone else
1: and you have no concept of sexual maturity whatsoever across the board i mean sexual in a complete men and women sort of way
0: Uh, those old adventure movies really in their silly stilted pathetic little way had a lot of maturity sexual maturity to them this is this is what robin hood needs to give up get Maid Marion. He can't just be an outlaw in the forest and Maid Marion's yep. not just going to become an outlaw for him. No, he's got to grow up. He's got to defeat the demons and the dragons and the bad guys. And then he's got to settle down. Yep. That's life. That's the journey that we're all on.
1: Yeah. And if you want to be discontent with that, then you, know, you can feed off of Star Wars for the rest of your life and be discontent with the beauty and glory of settling down and starting a family and being committed to one woman and being a good husband and father and settling into an, a role as a wife and mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, well. uh, that's that's worked out for a lot of people, apparently. Yeah, it seemed to be working out really well. We have a
0: really healthy, satisfied, happy culture of healthy, satisfied people.
1: Yeah, very sexually mature. Socially mature. Bored. Yep. Sexually, socially, relationally, emotionally mature people everywhere.
0: So women, women, if you don't want to submit to becoming a bro and, and having to give up all your needs and desires for a man, then maybe you shouldn't be so happy about your Captain Marvels and your Natasha's and your Black Widows and stuff like that, because that's actually what those movies are teaching young men, is that you should have to sacrifice everything for him. And what you want is for him to want to sacrifice for you, like Christ sacrifices for the church. Yep. Final question, Jake. Yes. This is a big, broad Final question. Final answer. Perhaps outside of a new hope, outside of the province. But since we're on the topic of feminism, women's issues and Star Wars, how have your daughters hit Star Wars? (laughs) And how have you helped them do it? Or have (laughs) you?
1: Or do you just let Star Wars I just let it all train their young minds Mm -hmm. and hearts? You have a daughter who is nine? That sounds right. And a daughter who is five. Five. Something like that? Yeah. Star Wars in particular?
0: Let's just say franchise. I think we're this is gonna be our big women in Star Wars episode, so or does that open up too many different cans of worms as
1: well? it's a complicated question because I mean I have talked to them about Ray and I think Ray I feel more obviously more threatened by than Princess Leia. Princess Leia at the end of the day fits into she's subverting some things and those things are worth talking about. That's why we spent a whole podcast talking about it.
0: Princess Leia wants to tell you you can you can do all the traditional stuff and still tote a gun and be kind of awesome and one of the boys, which is a lie. Maybe not as bad of a lie as you, you can, can just be abandon a, and you give a middle finger to all the traditional stuff.
1: And be the real hero and, and be the be what you know Luke could never be, actually. Yeah. That's what we're headed towards. Right. And so we talk about it, every aspect of it, actually. We've talked about even down to how part of the point of the Force being... Kind of a leveling... A leveling... Force. <laughs> what's the word that I'm... Agent? For? No, not a leveling agent. It is a leveling agent. I'm just looking for a different word for not equality equal egalitarian yes the force exists to create a set of circumstances where the world defy uh, the, this universe is not the way god made it this u- universe is fundamentally egalitarian because of the force and its uh equalizing effects and made the uh, the way that they're using that with ray is to subvert the way that god made men and the way god made women Yoda
0: says we are not this crude matter yeah, in mean, biology. We're all
1: destiny. Yeah, we're all gonna transcend that somehow. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about the ways that it undercuts on purpose, undercuts the way God made men and women. Then we talk about the ways where inevitably they slip in and out of those those roles. But even like my kids, we saw the last Jedi and you know, we had that you have that scene with Finn and what's her face.
0: Where Rose stops him from sacrificing himself? Yeah,
1: and I just asked my kids about it. What should have happened? He should have just been able to sacrifice himself there. And what's wrong with the idea of that she says that we're not going to win by destroying the things we hate, but by saving the things we love or whatever it is Mm. she says. They're tracking with that. They're like, you can't save the things you love without destroying the things that threatening. It's just stupid. So you don't have to actually fill in all the blanks for your kids. Not not anymore. I can ask them those questions and just sort of, if I can ask the question in a way that makes them think about it, for the most part, it's kind of it can be pretty obvious to them. Like, yeah, that's stupid. Right. Like that idea is is dumb. That how do you how do you protect the things you love without fighting the things that you hate that are threatening them? You can't. They're one and the same thing. Like you're gonna do this somehow without sacrifice. It's just like please. Or that in this movie, all the women are going to be the ones making the sacrifice for all the men. But yeah, you can talk to your kids about these things. It's not doesn't have to be that intimidating, or and there's good reasons to simply not expose your kids to them.
0: We are not making an argument that anyone has to show their kids Star Wars. I hate that I have to say that, but it's worth saying.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Star Wars is now exists to be an evilly, evil subversive sort of machine propaganda machine. That's what The Last Jedi was, if it was anything.
0: Kathleen Kennedy, who now runs the Star Wars franchise, is a very, what's the word? She's very intentional about the way that she does these things. Kathleen Kennedy, by the way, probably worth noting, she would have been the same. She's about the same age as Carrie Fisher, as Karen Allen, who played Marion. She is the type of woman. She worked for Spielberg. She worked for George Lucas as a first an assistant and then a producer kind of worked her way up. I'm sure if you think about the kind of women that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg like Marion and Princess Leia. Kathleen Kennedy is that yeah. she's brash, <laughs> she's bold, yep. she's and
1: you see it in her face. Mm-hmm. My goodness, is it in her face?
0: Yes, you do. You just you pull up a picture of her right now if you're interested, and you
1: just see a woman that all the tension. Yeah. All the tension right there in her face. Yeah.
0: It's it's like a crease in her eyes. You know, it's like, it's a furrowed brow. It's a... Something about her jawline. Something about her jawline. Very set. Very defiant. Very angry while trying to be happy. I don't know how else to say it. All right. Anything else to say about Star Wars A New Hope and females? I like females. You like females? I do too. Trying to get married to one of them as soon as possible. I like mine the best. I like mine the best. Mine's better. Show as always produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, Brandon, we wish you much luck in recovering from your ACL surgery. And until next time,
1: aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper?